Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, Porterville family. Grace to you and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. I surely wished I could say, I'm glad to see you. But under the circumstances, you're just gonna have to be glad to see me. (laughs) Thank you for watching this morning. We're gonna spend some time in God's word. But before we do, why don't we ask God's blessing on our time together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for what, Lord, you're doing in our world today. Even though, Father, we can't see everything that's going on, we can trust that you're God who is in control. Father, may you comfort our hearts, strengthen our lives. May we become better at telling others about Christ. Use us for your glory, for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to spend some time in various scriptures this morning. Uh, I just want to begin by just saying a large segment of our population has, at least to some extent, uh, an idea what the Bible says about a variety of subjects. I mean, even the most immoral person usually has at least a minimal uh, concept of what the Bible teaches concerning, say, heaven and hell. Most people across our nation have some connection, at least, at the least, at least they know something about the Bible. uh, You've heard lost people allude to things found in the scriptures. Uh, Back when I was a teenager, I ran with a group of people, and and I I don't know why I remember this. I I guess at the time I thought it was kind of a cool answer. Uh, I remember somebody asking this 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 girl where are you going and her response was I'm going to hell if I don't change my ways and everybody just thought that was kind of funny and, and my, myself as well I thought that was funny I was a teenager at the time and I was folks I was as lost as she was um, but still there was a concept in her mind and in my mind of heaven and hell um, like so many others it was treated flippantly and really not given much serious thought to it She was like millions of others who, in the course of their conversation, might demonstrate at least a certain understanding of what the Bible speaks of. To some degree, the erroneous view of heaven and hell, probably due to the horrible jokes that are out there about heaven and hell. And it's partially due because the very fact that we're we're a nation that has a religious heritage about us. Most people know something that the Bible says about something. There's a little bit of knowledge there. Uh, I spoke uh, to a man, it been a number of years ago, I was trying to witness to him, and he was just throwing all of this, you know, you know how when you're witnessing to people, they will argue with you, or they give you their view of things. And, and I finally, at some point, I just thought, I'm just gonna cut to the chase with this guy. And, uh, and I knew he was unquestionably not a Christian. It was just very obvious. And I just asked him point blank, who is Jesus Christ? And his answer was, well, he's the son of God. Yeah, a good answer. I mean, folks, 
There are millions of lost people across our nation today that would give that same answer. Uh, that's the answer I would have given uh, if someone had asked me that before I became a Christian. I mean, I wasn't raised in a home that, that you know, practiced Christianity in, in a great measure. I mean, there was a belief in God. Mom would uh, take us to church here and there. And, but for the most part, we really didn't have that under our roof. But I can't think there was of, of a time where I would have ever said any other answer than, well, Jesus is Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. That's just the way I was taught. And I'm sure millions of Americans today would give an answer something like that. I mean, all the while, like myself, not realizing that professing a biblical fact with your lips is not the same as professing biblical faith with your life. You know, it's possible to have a lot of right, right answers about things and still still not know the Jesus of the Bible. At one time in my life, probably like yourself, I, I fell into the same category as those found in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I mean, I could say Jesus is Lord. He's the Son of God all day long. Back when I was lost as a goose in a snowstorm, and it wouldn't have gotten me into heaven someday because what I was professing with my lips was certainly, genuinely not in my life. It's possible to profess Jesus with your lips while in reality He's absent from your life, isn't it? People of Ezekiel's day, hundreds of years before our Lord entered into the stream of humanity, Ezekiel is having a conversation apparently with the Lord and the Lord says this to him in Ezekiel 33, verse 30 to 32. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. They speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word of the Lord is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as a people come. They sit before you as my people. They hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. It's always been an issue. People who come to a place where they, they, they seem to be religious, they seem to know God, but when you look closely, the evidence of their life is that they really don't know God. For if they did, they would obey Him. And Jesus said as much in Luke 6, 46. He said this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do the things that I say? The old evangelist Vance Havner once said this, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than living in a garage would make you a car. You could live in a hole, but it wouldn't make you holy. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely right. Jesus told the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, He said to the angel of the church at Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. 
but you're dead. I mean, they had the look. They had the form of godliness, as Paul would call it, but they denied the power thereof. Folks, there's just a, a, a lot of truth to the old adage that close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. There's a lot of people who are close. It seems they're so close to being part of God's kingdom. But close doesn't count. Just because you, you hear God's word and you come to church and you're excited about the speaker or, or you, you, you know what the Bible says here and there, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're in the kingdom of God. And a lot of people, frankly, are deceived. People are so close and yet they're so far away from the kingdom of God. This morning I want us to consider three case studies. Uh, that kind of fall under that category of so close and yet so far. The first one is a sincere scribe. If you're taking notes, write down a sincere scribe. We're going to look at Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And then Jesus answered him, The first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, said, said to Jesus, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all of the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, Listen to Jesus' response. He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And then after that, nobody dared to ask him any question. Now folks, scribes were very well-educated men. The scribe that came to Jesus was a very knowledgeable man about God's word, and he, he answered wisely. Jesus recognized his answer. You don't meet many scribes in the gospel records to whom Jesus spoke without a measure of rebuke. More often than not, scribes were coupled together with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Because of their open contempt for Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees were often the target of some of Jesus' most scathing rebukes. This is a rare instance where Jesus speaks to a scribe and actually speaks well of him. One occasion, Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees this, You search the Scriptures. You know the Scriptures. Because in them you think you have eternal life. But it's they which speak of me. I mean, this scribe that Jesus addressed, he was sincere in his belief. And Jesus just says, But you're, you're not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you're not in. You're not far, but you're not in. And that's a vast difference, isn't it? See, Proverbs says this. Proverbs 21, 2 says, 
every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the hearts. A sincere scribe, a man who knew the word, and yet Jesus' own words were, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But folks, remember, close isn't going to get it. You have to be in the kingdom. You have to be born again. The second case study is what I call a procrastinating procurator. <laughs> a procrastinating procurator. This is out of Acts 24. Let me give you the context as you turn to Acts 24. Paul the Apostle has been arrested. He's been under charges of disturbing the peace and inciting a riot in Jerusalem. And a Roman centurion grabbed him out of the crowd that was about to tear him to shreds and moved him to safety, thought he was the instigator, found out that he probably wasn't, became aware of a fact that they were plotting to kill Paul. And so this Roman uh, soldier makes arrangements to have Paul taken from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean coastal town of Caesarea. And so he takes Paul there, and at this time, there's a man by the name of Felix who is governor over the region of Judea. Now, Felix, very unscrupulous man. He originally was a slave, but for some unknown reason, he was actually set free by Claudius Caesar himself, and eventually was appointed by Claudius as the procurator of the region of Judea somewhere around 53 AD. The ancient historian Tacitus writes that during his governorship, he said this about Felix, he indulged in all kinds of cruelty and lust, exercising regal power with the disposition of a slave. Tacitus portrays Felix as considering himself licensed to commit any crime, simply because he thought he could rely on the influence he possessed at court before the Caesar. He was a very unscrupulous ruler. He actually at one point used a gang of villains to assassinate the man who was high priest at the time, a man by the name of Jonathan, had him murdered while he was traveling in a crowd to the temple to worship. While in office, he became enamored with a woman named Drusilla, who was married to the king Emisa, and he, con was con he convinced her to leave her husband and join himself. And so she became an adulteress. Um, he is actually seated with Drusilla when Paul reasoned before him in Acts 24. I wanted you to have that background because now you know a little bit about Felix's penchant for violence and that might explain the very sugary words of a man by the name of Tertullus as he brings forth accusations against Paul. Look at verse 1. Now after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. So Ananias, being a high priest, knows what happened to Jonathan, the high priest, and how he got assassinated. So he has a plan. I'm not going to do a lot of the talking. I don't want to get in this guy's sight. So they have this guy named Tertullus who is an orator. He, he is apparently a very good speaker, very gifted with his words. And so they brought him along and let him be the guy that presents the argument before Felix. And it says in verse 2, And 
when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusations saying, and just look how the words drip with sugary sweet sentiments, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. And the first of all, that of course is a lie. They have no love for the Romans and their rule over Judea. They're not thankful he's there. And let me assure you, Felix knows this. He knows this is nothing but buttering him up. And probably rolled his eyes when he said it because Tertullus con continues in verse 4, Never nevertheless, not to be too tedious to you any further, he must have read something in Felix's face that he's not buying this. He says, nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. And then what he begins to do in verses 5 through 8, he begins to bring these false accusations that they had trumped up against Paul. And then Paul in, chapter, in verse 10 down through 21 gives his own defense to those accusations. We're not going to look at those, but in verse 22, that's where I want you to focus on, but when Felix heard these things, in other words, both the accusations and Paul's rebuttal to that accusation, when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I'll make my decision in your case. So the, what he basically is doing is he's saying, you know what, I'm not going to deal with this right now. I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to wait. Let Lysias, the commander, Lysias was the one who actually saved Paul from being torn to pieces by the people in Jerusalem. So he's going to come down and give in his two cents in this whole sordid plot. But Felix puts it off. Now, Felix, it says, had a more accurate knowledge of the way, and most likely that was because of who he was married to. Because in verse 24, and after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, now she's entered into the scene, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So he has a more accurate knowledge of the way. That's what Christianity was originally called, was the way. Obviously picked up from Jesus' comment, I am the way, and that just kind of caught. And so he's heard about it. His wife is Jewish. She has some insight into it. And so she is with him, and they send for Paul, and they want to hear from him concerning faith in Christ. So Paul has a... a he has an audience. Verse 25. So as he, that is Paul, reasoned about righteousness, something Felix does not know anything about, self-control, and the judgment to come, look at Felix's response. Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Again, he procrastinates. You see, Felix is a classic example of somebody who senses deeply what they ought to do in regards to faith in Christ, but sees it as something that can be put off, put back on the back burner, 
and maybe dealt with some other time. I can recall witnessing to a man a number of years ago, a man it was just a man I deeply loved, friend, had an opportunity to share my faith in Christ with him. And as as I talked to him about Jesus and and, and I recall it being during that period of time in 1988 where that one guy came out with all with the book about how Jesus was going to return in September of 1988 that stirred a lot of concern in people's hearts and it had this man and so he he questioned did I think that was going to happen and of course I said well I hope it does Jesus could come back anytime I'm not a date setter and anyway our conversation went on and I talked to him about Christ and and his, his finally his last pushback with me was that he didn't want to make this decision based on fear. Well, I don't want to do it just because I'm afraid. Well, that's pride. And let me tell you, fear is a wonderful motivator to coming to Christ, isn't it? I truly was overcome with fear before I received Christ. But I put him off probably for about two weeks living in fear. Felix just puts him off. There are a lot of people like Felix. They're waiting for the, for the right time. Yeah, I... I wouldn't mind being a Christian, but I want to live my life first. I, I, I want to have my fun first. It's not convenient for me right now. And they're just like Felix. They procrastinate doing the most important thing in their life. Well, the third case study of folks who are so close and yet so far is what I'm calling the curious king. A curious king. Go over a couple of chapters into Acts 26. Again, let me give you a little bit of context to this. Paul is still in the same prison. He has now been in prison for two years. A man by the name of Festus is now the governor of the region. Felix is no longer there. But to please the Jews, they've left Paul imprisoned. For no good reason. Now Paul now is standing before Festus, but there's somebody else in the scene now, King Agrippa. And he gives his defense and his testimony of faith in Christ as he stands before Agrippa, who desires to hear Paul speak of the issues he's being held captive for. In other words, he's he's curious about these things and and, and just let me add a footnote, just something maybe to make a reference in your Bible, if you're, if you're one to write in your Bible. Write out alongside that verse, Mark 6.20. Mark 6.20 refers to someone called Herod. You know him. Herod is Agrippa's father. His curiosity for the things of God goes all the way back to his father because here's what it says about Herod Agrippa's father. In verse 20 of Mark chapter 6, for Herod feared John, speaking of John the Baptist, knowing that he was a just man and holy and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. You see, Herod's father, Herod Agrippa's father, Herod, liked to listen to John the Baptist, even though it made him shake in his boots, but he was curious about the things John was talking about and would hear him gladly. Well, now here is his son, Herod Agrippa, sitting before the apostle Paul, and he's curious as well. 
And so he calls him before him, and, and now Paul is giving his defense about the wrong accusations brought against him by the Jews now two years prior. And then he gives this salvation testimony about how he met Christ on the road to Damascus, and, and they're listening to everything Paul says. And now as he made his defense, I'm sure they're hanging on every word, Festus does what so many people do when you're trying to tell them about Christ. And they're under conviction, they make light out of it, and they try to make everybody laugh it off. And so here's what Festus does. It says, And Festus said with a loud voice, this is to all of those who are in the courtyard, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. There was probably some nervous chuckles as he said that. Because right now the Holy Spirit is working. But Paul said, I am not mad most noble fest. In other words, I'm not crazy. I'm not out of my mind. But I speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak, speak freely knows these things. I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. And at this point, Paul undoubtedly now quits looking at Festus and then looks the king right in the eye because he says, verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And he doesn't even give the king a chance to respond. He says, I know you believe. In other words, I know this. This common knowledge. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Isn't that sad? I'm almost there. I, you almost, you almost got me, Paul. Folks, a sincere scribe you're not far from the kingdom of God. A procrastinating procurator. I'll call for you. Uh, I want to hear more about this when I have a more convenient time. And then you've got this curious king who's hanging on every word, under conviction, knows what he needs to do, and says, man, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Folks, all of these people illustrate that people can have a certain knowledge of the things of God and be close to making the right decision but for various reasons choose to live apart from God. Millions of people in America are that way today. A strong Christian heritage with freedom of religious expression has supplied multitudes upon multitudes with the truth about Jesus Christ. Many even go so far as to join a church, affiliate themselves with the people of God, but never take the necessary steps in personally receiving Christ by way of repentance from sin and faith toward Him. We could say they're not far from the kingdom of God. They're so close, but they're so far away. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament was largely written to bring Jews who were convinced that Jesus was indeed their Messiah all the way to the point where they would entrust their lives to Him for salvation. You see, strong Jewish tradition had kept many standing on the brink of a commitment to Christ. They knew. They knew that the moment that they received Christ, that 
as the Messiah they claimed him to be, that they entrusted their life to him, they would be excommunicated, removed from the synagogue. And the rippling effects of that would be that they were business owners, they would lose their business, they would be ostracized by most of the populace. And so there's a lot of pressure on them to, to not commit themselves to Christ. Oh, yeah, I think he's the Messiah, but yeah, I don't want to get in bad standing with uh, the people of the city. And so they, they, they came to that brink, and the writer of Hebrews wants to challenge them to let go of all of the trappings of Judaism, and while affirming Christ as Messiah, trust him. And so the writer of Hebrews writes this letter to show that Jesus Christ is superior to any and everything that is wrapped up in Judaism and that if a person wants to be saved, they must come all the way to Christ. Close won't cut it. Just saying Lord, Lord, Messiah, Messiah is not going to get you in. There has to be a life change. And in Hebrews 4.1 let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, look at this, any of you should seem to come short of it. A lot of people right on the brink, they'd say Jesus is the Son of God if you asked them who he was, but they've never committed their life to him. They may be curious about him, they may like to hear about Him. They may attend a church every single Sunday. You've got some who are so sincere, but they've never entrusted their life to Jesus Christ. Some are very active involved in churches. They're very religious, but they've never bowed the knee and entrusted their souls to Christ. I read the story of a man who comes home one day and finds his wife looking rather despondent sitting there at the table with this blank look on her face. And he goes over to her and he says, Honey, what, what, what is the matter? And without looking at him, she said, A man knocked on our door today. And I opened the door and he abruptly asked me, Do you know Jesus Christ? And I didn't know how to answer him, so I closed the door in his face. Her husband shook his head. Well why, well, why didn't you tell the man that you taught, you teach the ladies' Bible class at church, that you're the chairman of the Women's Missionary Society? Why didn't you tell him you sing in the choir? She looked at her husband. She, she said, because that's not what he asked me. So let me ask you. Paul said this. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Look inside. Ask yourself. Test yourself, Paul says. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? In other words, are you certain today that if you died, you'd go to heaven? Do you absolutely know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? So the question facing you is this. Is my faith in Christ real? If it is, rejoice in that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But if in your heart of hearts you know you have an association with Christ, 
but not a relationship, then today needs to be the day that you bow your head and you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. If nothing else, this message today perhaps can help you to share your faith with a lost person. Share this message with a friend or family member who needs to trust Christ. It's been great teaching you today. I hope to see you soon when all of this mess is finally over. I love you people. You're special to my, my heart. May the Lord bless you. Have a good and godly week.